Happy New Year! Happy New Year! It's so good to see everybody. It, what an incredible start to the year it's been already. Yesterday was Epiphany. That was a really special day for us. I got to officiate the wedding of some old friends of ours, and it was a really small wedding, and it was really beautiful, and it was really wonderful. So that was a cool way to kick off the year. Yesterday also marked the three-year anniversary of me quitting my job to follow a ministry calling. So that's really cool, too. I had absolutely no idea how this thing was going to pan out. I felt like Abraham, go to the land to which I will show you, and you just kind of go. So it's been an incredible journey, and having you all here makes it an incredible time as well. And so that's kind of what I was thinking about, and I was like, well, what should we talk about for what is the second outpost of 2023? No, it's the first outpost of 2023, because last week was New Year's Eve. And I want to talk about our, our church rhythms and why we have the rhythms that we have and the importance of rhythms to begin with. Everybody is familiar with rhythms. So that's what we're going to talk about. Let's pray, and then we're going to dive right in. Father in heaven, we are grateful for this time and this family gathered here, Lord. So we ask you to bless our evening. Bless the work that you've called us to do. Bless the things that we get to fellowship together with and bless us as you send us from this place. And so, uh, Lord, we we lift all of our our cares and our troubles and anxieties up to you. And we are joyfully, joyfully turn our hearts over to you as we enter into the Sabbath and into rest. This we pray in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. So rhythms. Everybody experiences rhythms, right? The sun rises and the sun sets. Tomorrow comes. Annie sung a song about that. You have a work week rhythm. You might have a school week rhythm. There's civil holidays. I've heard of there's this place. I'm not sure how it's pronounced. Gym, G-Y-M. You guys familiar with this thing? Gym, Gym. Some people build a, a gym workout into, into their rhythms. I'm not really familiar with what people... <laughs> Oh, the light bulb went on. (laughs) He gets in the car in like an hour and a half. He's like, oh, that was really good. Um, But there's there's rhythms in our life, right? There's there's rhythms that make up how we do our day-to-day lives. We also have church rhythms. We have rhythms that exist within the inside of the church. So we use a lectionary. That's how we choose what to read for scripture each week, the, the scripture that's read aloud. Um, there's a rhythm to that so that we're covering all of the Bible in certain periods of time. We have a rhythm to our covenant renewal worship service, the order, the liturgy in which we worship the Lord that we do every single week. We have church calendar seasons of rhythms. We, we just left Advent. That was a season. It's part of our annual rhythm as a church cycle. There's times of remembrance. There's times of feasting. What we're doing here right now. We're about to feast. So we're surrounded by rhythms. But rhythms also help us with discipline. And we've talked about this many, many times. Living a disciplined life actually is a freer life, right? If if we build certain structures around our lives, we have more freedom to do the things that we want to do. We know where the boundary walls are. We know what's acceptable and we know what's not acceptable. We have personal rhythms. We have prayer, Bible study, work, rest, worship. All the things that are critical to the spiritual, mental, and physical health of somebody who believes in God. I try to live a pretty disciplined life. I get up really early. It's the only way I can get things done that I am called to get done. If I didn't have discipline in the order in which I do them, it just wouldn't happen. So I try to keep my days God-focused, my time productively focused. But there's a rhythm that we are all biblically commanded to observe. Isaac and I were just talking about the Ten Commandments in the kitchen. They were not like God's 10 slightly helpful tips if you'd like to live a better life for yourself. 
<laughs> they're not 10 steps to your personal greatness, but they are 10 commandments, and they're actually really important. They, they not only form the moral standards of society, uh, of faithful people, but they're also foundational to the covenant that God has with us. They're actually the principles of His covenant. They define the life that a believer should live before the Lord. So I know that we're all familiar with most of them, but there's one, there's one that I don't think gets as much attention as it should. And it comes from Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. It says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The Sabbath, it's commanded. We are commanded to rest on the Sabbath. How many of us actually think about the fact that we have a command to rest on the Sabbath, that God has made a covenant with us, and part of that covenant is a commandment to rest, to not to work on the Sabbath. But not just you, basically everybody you're responsible for, right? Your kids, if you guys happen to have any servants, male or female servants, you must give all of them the Sabbath off. If you have any livestock, we don't do anything with the livestock in the back on the Sabbath. Or even the visitor that's inside your gates, the person that's coming to stay with you. If you have a guest that is with you, you have a responsibility for them, too, to participate in the Sabbath if they are within your gates, within your responsibility. So the question then becomes, is this actually happening for most people? And we all know the answer to that is no. I don't think that it really is. A couple weeks ago, I put a podcast out about the dangers of entertain, what I call entertain you church like church that's all based upon entertainment and has lasers and fog machines and rock and roll shows, and it's real. Really? It's terrifying. It's good. I've never seen that. You're, you're, you're not missing a whole lot. But I, I talked about the problems and the dangers of entertainment church. And I think one of the, the issues that we have experienced as a church is that when we go into a place of just entertainment, it removes the awe and the holiness of the idea and the concept of the Sabbath. See, when I was Jewish, the Sabbath was this incredibly highly regulated, legalistic day. There's these 39 prohibited labors. They involve carrying and cooking and riding and buying and selling. You can't light a fire, which means you can't drive a car because a car has combustion inside of it. There is this list of things that you cannot do that are supposed to sanctify the day and make it separate. The idea is to strip work out of the day. It is to remove anything from the day that would represent productive work that you would do on the other six days. So anything productive would be considered problematic or is considered problematic. Orthodox Jews today uh, celebrate the Sabbath this way. Now, this comes from the rabbis. It comes from this stricter interpretation of God's law. Rabbis and Pharisees who thought if they held to a stricter, more legalistic version of the law of God, they would bring the Messiah faster and it would make them all this extra, you know, oh so pious. Of course, we know that Jesus came to remove us, to remove and fulfill the law, remove us from the penalty of the law, but fulfill the law for us. And so it changes the way we look at things like the Sabbath. But the idea of the Jewish Sabbath was to separate yourself from the mundane parts of the rest of your week to make the Sabbath something separate and something holy. So I love the concept of a Sabbath when I was Jewish, even though we, we didn't celebrate it that way in the home that I lived in. But I felt frustrated 
and overwhelmed when I talked to other people and other Jews about the Sabbath because the whole conversation was about what you couldn't do. Well, you know you can't do such and such, and you can't do this, and you can't do that. Just like this crazy legalistic portion about the observance of it. So I had this love and this concept of rest when Christ moved in my heart, but I was disappointed that most of the churches I've gone to didn't ever actually talk about what real rest is and like what it's supposed to mean to have a day where you separate yourself from the work. They didn't really talk about separating ourselves, not because it's, it's I mean, they just didn't talk about it at all, right? They, they didn't talk about it as something like, hey, it's really good in the hustle and bustle of American life in 2023. You should probably take a day off, by the way. They didn't even talk about it from that standpoint, like in the, the, the entertainment, like self-helpy kind of way that some of these churches talk about. These didn't talk about it at all. So, of course, our church here is committed to rest on the Sabbath. We're really big about feasting and resting and enjoying the fruits that the Lord brings us. So this is why we have this weekly cycle. I know all of you diligently study the website. Thank you for that. But on the website, we, we publish what our, our cycle, our rhythm for the church is, and it's feast, worship, rest. So we, we begin here in our Sabbath, we begin, at the Sab- we begin at the Sabbath eve, which is right now. The sun is set, it is the eve of the day before, and we bring people here to the house, what we call the outpost, and we feast. The outpost. An outpost is a small military camp or position at some distance from the main force, used especially as a guard against surprise attack. And that's exactly what we are. We are a small military force. It's probably true with as well-armed as everybody is. But it's a small military force. But we're of Christ soldiers. And we're, we're some distance from the main church building. But we're still part of the body. And so we, we encourage our church body to meet in homes on the Saturday nights to prepare against surprise attack. And you're like, he's gone off the rails again? What is the surprise attack? Is Al-Qaeda going to burst down the door? I tell you, though, if they do, we're super ready. <laughs> this is not the place that Al-Qaeda should burst down the door. <laughs> Aloha, snack bar. Not a, good, <laughs> not, not a good thing. So you can't say that when you work for mainline churches. <laughs> it's just, uh, so it's not, we're not preparing against a surprise attack for Al-Qaeda coming through the door, though we are prepared for that as well. But, but there is a war that is going on. There's a war against God, a war against His covenant, and Satan wages that war. That's why Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, 10, and 11, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You see, Satan doesn't want us to worship. He, he doesn't want us to be restful. And he doesn't want us to be in joy. So that's why we gather in outposts before the Sabbath, because we learn and we pray and we sing and then we feast. Why? Because this is the place we strap on our armor. It's we tighten each other's breastplates and it's iron sharpening iron. We prepare the tools to fight spiritual war, to fight against Satan who wants to separate us from the love and the joy that can come from God. The, the love and the joy that nobody can ever take from you, ever, no matter what. So we show up and we encourage each other, and we stand firm against the devil. And so we, we proclaim that the Lord's day has arrived and that we're participants in it. And we actually also get to proclaim that joyfully we're on the winning team. You, you know that, right? Like, we, we actually can't lose. 
Romans 16, 20 says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So how do people who are victors celebrate? Do they mope? Do they bring little smokies in a crock pot? No, that's why we don't do church potlucks like that here. They feast. The victors feast. They pop... <laughs> it's fine. You can bring a little smoke. <laughs> <laughs> <Small sport. laughs> Before I learned how to cook, many of my work crock pot potlucks were little smokies with barbecue sauce in them and toothpicks. It's uh, I, I should apologize. I should beg forgiveness for all of those people. I kid. But, but how, do, how do winning teams, how do victors celebrate? They pop champagne and they throw a feast. When you pass a big flight exam, what do you do? You go out to dinner and you have a feast. When you're on the winning team, you feast. When you get the job you want, you feast. When you have a wedding, you feast. That's all we did yesterday was feast. It was glorious. It was like the Sabbath Eve Eve. It was like a preparatory feast in preparation for my feast tonight. I really encourage that, actually. That's one of the things that make your life better. Just keep feasting. But fe- feast, what'd you say? Amen. We had hibachi. Ooh, hibachi is a feast. That is a great feast. I, not only do we do this culturally, but feasts are all over the Bible. Feasts were used to celebrate victories and celebrate joys. Abraham made a great feast uh, the day Isaac was weaned. Laban gathered all the men of his field and made a feast. The prodigal son comes home, and what do they all do? They feast. They get the best food and the best drink, and they feast. Passover was called a feast of unleavened bread to celebrate and, rem- and remember the God's deliverance of the Jews during the Exodus. Even the kingdom of heaven is compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Did you know that wedding feasts in the first century lasted a whole week? I think that's amazing. I think you should absolutely party for seven days when people get married. I think we should encourage that strongly as a church. Week-long wedding, partying. No, think about this. You just bring all of your friends together for a week and make it a giant party to celebrate your love and your status as a united couple joined together under the covenant of marriage. Like, that is rad. We should totally feast for a week. I'm all about feasting. But we see that feasting is a huge part of believers' lives. And that's what we're here for, right? Our, Our first rhythm in our church rhythm cycle is feasting at the outpost or your own outposts. We come together, we strengthen one another, we feast and we fellowship and we eat good food and we drink good drink. We have removed all terrible church potlucks. We are anti-terrible church potlucks. God gave us great food and he gave us great drink and we should feast and enjoy it. It's an incredible gift. And you see, when we eat good food and we drink good drink, what does it do? It fills our hearts with joy. We leave with our bellies full and our hearts full of joy. And that actually protects us as we prepare for Sunday mornings. And that's why our second rhythm after feasting is covenant renewal worship. And what is covenant renewal worship? Well, that's what we do every Sunday morning. And it's, it's an order that's centered around the biblical sacrifices and covenants. So we, we have a call to worship, and then we do a communal confession of sin, We have a consecration, which is the word being preached. We take communion every week. And then there's a commissioning at the end, the benediction, sending us out into the world to go do something in the world with our faith. We follow the covenantal order, our liturgy. It's a fancy word that means order. Follows an order. We have expectations. We have a rhythm to the way that we do church. And the rhythm establishes it's not about us, it's about God. 
And so that's when we come together as the body and we worship the Lord together as a body. Not individually. It's not like, oh my gosh, that made me feel so good today. <laughs> yeah, that's the face. I know. It's, instead, it's, did we all worship the Lord well from awe and love and reverence? It's not about entertainment. It's actually about obligation and duty. But it's not a begrudging duty and obligation. It's funny, those words, sometimes because we like to think like, I'm in charge of my own life. I do what I want. I don't know why I have all the accents for the things that I do what I want. I do what I want. You can't tell me what to do. You're my real dad. (laughs) But we do have people that can tell us what to do. Authority structures exist. As much as you want to deny authority structures, authority structures exist. What we want is godly authority structures. We've all seen bad leaders. We've seen leaders who are full of pride and full of themselves, and it's damaging. I know some of you are under the leadership of somebody, truthfully, that is full of pride, and it's damaging. Good leaders are those who bend the knee to God because then they realize that they have obligations morally that they have to carry out to the people that they lead. So that's why when we show up to church, it's not like this, we're going to like, ugh, church. We come with joy because there's an obligation for us to worship a God who loves us. And we filled our hearts with joy the night before, full of wonderful food and wonderful company and people we love, fellowshipping and strengthening each other. Life is always better done together. And so then what do we do after worship? We fellowship. And we happen to hold church at a bar. It's also a coffee shop. So what can we do afterwards? We can get a cup of coffee or a beer or a glass of wine, and you can stay and spend time with the people that you love, establishing relationships and investing in them. You're supposed to know the people you do life with. They're not supposed to be transient. You're supposed to be invested in their life so that when something bad happens, you have community. Community cares for community. Did you know you don't need the welfare state if communities would just care for each other? You don't even need big government. He doesn't have to tell you what to do at all because you can listen to God's word and care for each other and love your neighbor and love your enemy. It's really amazing. So we end worship, grab a beer, We give our hugs, we all say goodbye, and what do we do next? We rest. You see, the end part of our cycle here, feasting, worship, resting, we leave worship to then go put ourselves in a place of rest. The day, the rest of our day should be one that is full of rest. It should be a day that is separate from other days. We should be doing things different on that day than we do on normal days. All the work that we do to prepare for the Sabbath, we should do beforehand. That's what we do as a Christian baking bread and, and doing these things that prepare us for tonight and tomorrow. So we don't really have to do as much of those things. So tomorrow becomes a restful day. And it's not legalistic. It's not the 39 prohibited labors and, oh my gosh, and you did this and now you violated the Sabbath. And well, I guess that's not going to work. Going straight to hell with you. The Sabbath is supposed to be different than other days. It's supposed to be a place of rest. It should be a day of joyful rest and joyful feasting. You should bring out the best wine and you should eat the best foods. And you should take the nap, that nap on Sunday afternoons that you don't ever take on any of the other days if you want to take that nap. You should play a game with your family. You should take a walk. You should marvel at the creation that God has given you dominion over. Maybe you read a book. Maybe you turn off your phone and your email. Did you know your phone and your email can wait a whole day? I've so slowed down on responding because none of it's actually an emergency. I'll respond to the stuff that's an emergency, but everything else I can queue up and respond later. And it's so much better for my mental health. We have been tricked that every single thing needs our immediate attention right now. And that is a lie. 
because it pulls us from the things that are important. So if the Sabbath, if, if there's no other day that you can't separate from the, the, uh, the magnet that is my cell phone, I'm speaking about myself, the Sabbath is a great day to do that because it can wait. God created the universe in six days and took a day off. None of us are that important that we can't take a day off. We get to recharge in the Sabbath, not just a physical battery, though that is important, but there's a spiritual battery too. So I'll conclude with this. The Lord's Day, this, this part of our week should be the part of the week that we actually look forward to with anticipation. It's not a drag. It is a time of joy and feasting and rest. It's, it should be actually the time that we can't wait to get to. And I look at it this way because I'm an optimist. Is this is my day, my work, words, my week, my first day of the week, my week starts on Sunday, not Mondays. So I look at bookends of my life as Saturday night is the end of the week and Sunday is the beginning of the week. And I get to feast on both of those days because we do another feast as a family Sunday night too, because God is good and there's so much good food to eat. Amen. Get in my belly. <laughs> so I, I tell people, I said, like, we have a fryer. And like, oh, an air fryer? I was like, no, 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 a deep fryer. Because food's supposed to taste really good. But I look at it as bookends to my week. It is a way to look joyfully to the end of the week and anticipate joyfully the beginning of the week. And then nobody can give me, looks like somebody has a case of the Mondays on Monday. Because I already started my week off on the best place possible with the people that I love, worshiping the God that loves me, and getting to feast and eat the best foods and drink the best drink. Like, how does it get any better than that? But you see, if all we've done is like reduced our weekends to, okay, these are my two days off, or maybe one, especially if you're a flight instructor, if that. And like, I have all this, this stuff I got to get done, and, and all I can do is get it done because this is the only time I can do it. There's no rest. It is like this continuous hamster wheel that hasn't gotten you anywhere except like the ulcer and the vein in the front of your head that starts doing this. But if you look at the weekend and you look at the Sabbath through the biblical command, it changes everything. You can do a lot more work in one day than you think you can. If you have stuff that carries over on two weekend days, move it, move it a day back. I guarantee you can take a day off. And if you look at it through this, this uh, I think these eyes of incredible joy, not legalistic and self-flagellating if you, if you miss a Sabbath observance on a weekend. If you think about and ending your week and starting your week in a place of joy, like how much, how much easier it is to love your neighbor and your enemy and your God if you've actually taken the time to rest and reflect. So we feast because God's good. The joy of the Lord is our strength. God has given us this incredible world, all this beauty. He's brought all you beautiful saints here. He's created all these cheat codes for us to find, like chickens. If you pluck them and you fry them, you should gut them too. And then you fry them. Actually, if you brine them in, if you brine them in pickle juice and then you fry them, you turn into Chick-fil-A goodness. That's a cheat code. Who's the first person to think about coffee? Coffee was a cheat code that God left in the universe for you. Who was the first person who was like, you know what? I wonder if we take these green little beans, roast them in the sun, crush them, run hot water through them. They will bring the nectar that all human beings need to survive the first four hours of the day. There's cheat codes. 
Everything in the universe that you see outside and in here lends itself to a creator. You can drag like the, divi the, the, the evolution timeline so far out that you're just, you're just playing with the games of laws of probability. But it doesn't actually make scientific sense. When there's all these little, those little cutie oranges, you, know, you, you peel it apart and it's already pre-sliced on the inside for you. Isn't it cool what evolution does by accident? <laughs> so stupid. It's pre-sliced and you peel them apart and it has the vitamin and little pockets inside each one of those slices that your body needs. Oh, and it tastes good too. And it's in a protective shell. I do too. They're amazing. It's great. Yeah, you can have some. Feel free to dig in after we're done. So the joy of the Lord is our strength. He's given us this incredible world to have dominion over, these incredible things to enjoy. But it's even bigger than all of that. The real reason that we feast and the real reason that we're in joy is that God has given us life. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We have a new life. We are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. There is nothing in your life that God can't forgive you for. There is nothing in your life that you can't move forward from with Jesus Christ by your side. There's nothing. No matter how bad, how dark, how troubling it could be, there is absolutely nothing because you are saved from the penalty of your sin. You are saved from damnation because God loves you. Because He picked you. Because you are part of His covenant. And that's why we have rhythms. And that's why we have rhythms here. To bring all of this to the front of our mind consciously. It is so easy to take things for granted. Think about complacency in your guys' line of work. Complacency kills people. Spiritual, spiritual complacency kills people too. It puts them in a place of spiritual lethargy where they're no longer loving God and they're no longer loving their neighbor and they're no longer loving their enemy. And they can't figure out why everybody's just so pissed off all the time. So, my encouragement for all of you as we leave tonight, after we feast, think about weekly rhythms. Think about the Sabbath. I want you to think about how you approach it. How do you feast? How do you worship? How do you rest? How do you build rest into your schedules? This will show you areas where your priorities are a little bit out of whack. And it actually takes a huge leap of faith to follow this command that God has told us to follow because our sinful hearts get in the way. But... I understand the leap of faith it takes to say, I'm not going to do any of this stuff one day a week. This might surprise some of you, but I've been a workaholic in my life before. I know, it's very surprising. So it's hard for me to say, oh, because everyone's got a sob story, right? There's, we've got to have this thing done. It's got to be done right now. Please help. And you, and you legitimately want to help people get things done. I'm not talking about sob stories in church. I'm talking about non-church stuff. My role as a pastor is 24-7, but that's shepherding people. But in the pilot world... I still want to shepherd and help people, but there's only so much time, and you have to say no, but it's hard to say no. So you can talk yourself into never resting because you care about the sob story and you really want to help these people. But we're called to separate one day of our week away into rest that we can actually pause, and it's amazing. It's so good. I look forward to Friday through Sundays like you guys don't even know. We take Fridays off as a family rest day, um, because we have a really busy Monday through Thursday. And it's like the beginning of the prep of my whole Sabbath weekend. And it's such a blast. And we have people in our life, they'll be like, hey, can you guys come on Saturday night? We're like, no. Well, why? Well, you guys got like, that, that like, church thing you do that. So you can cancel that, right? And I was like, no. <laughs> Last year, we, we held 49 out of 52 weekends. I think we'll miss two weekends this year. 
Hopefully God will only know more than that because this is such an important part of our rhythm. And some nights we get a whole bunch of you guys like tonight and some nights we don't. And it's great. God gives us exactly, and old friends that we do like surprises. That's amazing. Like what a blessing for that too. So I want you to think about your rest for the weekend, your rest for the Lord's day. I want you to think about feast, feasting. I want you to think about gathering with others and doing that, making those outposts, places where you're strengthening each other. You're putting on the armor of God. You sharpen each other, you sing, you pray, you feast. I want you to wake up on Sunday with a full heart, full of joy, with excitement to go worship the Lord. And then I really just want you to rest and relax. Separate yourself from the pursuits and the hustles of the week. Not in this legalistic way, but that joyful, incredible way. So make Sunday the first day of your week. Start your week in godly worship and rest. And then feast on Sunday night as you prepare for the next part of your rhythm, the next part of the cycle. I want you to feast so much that you yearn for the feast next week. We should leave Sunday yearning for next Saturday that we're going to feast again. The Lord's Day should be our favorite day, the best day of our week. So rest sweetly, feast joyfully, and worship exuberantly. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for family gathered here, old friends, new friends, the ability to, to come together, worship you, to feast together. So, Lord, bless us. Bless us this Sabbath. Lift us all up and fill our hearts full of joy, joy that we may serve you well and thusly serve others and the world well. Let us be a light. Let us be a joyful light that others are drawn to us because they see how exuberantly we attack life and protect us, Lord, from the schemes of the devil. We raise all of this up in your mighty and powerful name. Amen.